in our three weeks of Advent counting today, we have talked about love, we have talked about peace, and now hope. And I told you I was going to mention this every week, but something the Lord showed me this year is that these four themes of Advent, love, joy, peace, and hope, they really flow into each other. So we're throwing tradition out the window. We're not going in any certain order based on tradition this week. But here's how we have talked about these things here. First and foremost is love. When our foundation that we have in our mind is the love of God, when we understand just how loved we are, we will not be able to help it but walk and operate out of peace, right? So many people, the reason they don't have peace is because they're constantly fighting the idea that God is displeased with them, that he doesn't love them, that he's angry with them, and that is not the God that we we know as believers, right? I heard someone say this once, if you attribute something to God that you don't see in the life of Jesus, you at least have reason to question if that attribute is attribute of God or not. Meaning if you attribute anger and, and, and punishment and wrath to God, yet you don't see Jesus in his life punishing people through wrath and through anger, but you see him going through the streets of Jerusalem and telling the sinner that he's loved and telling the, the woman that she is loved and accepted and, and through kindness speaking these words to her, go and sin no more. If you see that in Jesus, and you can bet, that is the Lord himself. That is how God responds to us. You don't see Jesus going around stricking people with sickness. You see him healing sickness. So if we don't see something in the life of Jesus, we at least have reason to question, is that of God? And when we understand how loved we are, when we put ourselves in those situations that we see Jesus in in the, in, in, in the Gospels, We won't be able to help it but walk in peace because we know at our best and at our worst, we are the most loved we've ever been. We cannot be loved anymore because it's based not on condition, but on Jesus. And that is good news. And once our mind is operating and filled with peace, we talked about that last week, that there's peace beyond understanding. However, many of us forfeit that peace when we try to understand If it's peace beyond understanding, we lose it when we try to figure everything out, right? I'm not saying, I didn't say this last week, that we shouldn't have a plan and we should ask the Lord. We should map out a plan. If he gives us a plan, he'll at least give us the next step, right? Sometimes that's enough. Sometimes that's all we get, but that's all we need, really. As long as you can see your next step, you won't stumble. But when we try to figure it all out, we forfeit peace beyond understanding, right? So we understand love and then we have absolute peace we're operating in. And when our mind is filled with peace, that's where we're at today. You will have capacity to hope. So many people give up hope. So many people buy in to that ever popular phrase, don't get your hopes up. It is demonic. I don't call many things demonic. I called that feedback demonic, right? It probably wasn't. It was probably just mechanical. But honestly, thank you, Kyle, because it, it, being a sound guy is not easy. He had to fight that, I'm sure, that whole service. Good job, buddy. Thank you for doing that. And uh, this, this idea, though, to not get your hopes up, I'm telling you, that is demonic. Why? Because hope is not just some pipe dream. It's not just some nice thought that optimists have. No, hope 
when it's real, when it's based in who you are in Christ, it is living, it's alive, it's breathing. Hope is something tangible. We're gonna get into it, but I'm telling you, it is one of the most powerful forces in the spirit. In fact, Paul wrote this, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. We all know that verse, but think about it. Hope was important enough to be put in the same category as faith and love. Hope, faith, and love, but the greatest of these is love. It's not just something that's for kids. It's not just something for somebody that hasn't seen the way the world works yet. You know, you have that phrase, well, you haven't seen real life yet. You're young. Oh, you'll get your hopes dashed. You, you'll start to understand this. No, get your hopes up as high as they can go when you're a believer. If you start with love and you begin to operate out of peace, you will be able to hope. Not just hope, but living hope, breathing hope. I'm going to read this from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 out of the Passion Translation. It's a really good one. Here's what it says. Celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us his extravagant mercy. For his fountain of mercy has given us a new life. We are reborn to experience a living energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are reborn to experience a living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I love that he says living and energetic because that gives you the picture that hope moves and it breathes and it adapts to your situation. And when a situation changes and hope seems to be even more gone than before, if you allow hope to adapt, it'll adapt and you can still keep hoping. We do it with worry all the time. Worry is the opposite of hope, and worry also adapts. I don't wanna give worry or fear the, uh, the, the respect of saying that it's alive. I don't, I don't know about that, but it at least adapts, right? Remember COVID? As soon as one thing was over and you start to relax, they're like, oh, here's the new variant. It's Megatron, he's coming for you. And all of a sudden your worry adapts, and instead of worried about the one, you gotta start worrying about this one. And this one just doesn't do this. This one does this. And your worry adapts to the new situation. Lisa and I know someone who has been completely healed of what they call incurable cancer. And instead of being hopeful now, she's just sitting around out of her own mouth waiting for the next round to take her out. Her worry, her fear keeps adapting to the situation. Even when the situation is good, her worry adapts. Does this relate? This is the way the world works. I know this is a goofy example, but I was watching an old episode of Seinfeld, and George, who's like the resident guy that nothing ever goes right for him, is always worried about money, and he gets this great job, and he has money. And instead of walking around free from worry and anxiety, he starts to worry about getting a disease. He's like, well, I got money. I guess I'm probably going to get a disease. That's the way the world works. If it's not one thing, it's another. When it rains, it pours. It's this, it's that. Your worry is adaptable. And for a lot of us, our worry has adapted to every situation we've ever been in. No matter how good it gets, our worry adapts. But that's the enemy's version. That's the enemy's version of hope. It's worry. But when we turn that worry around, instead of picturing all these negative outcomes and we allow the word 
to light up what the Lord sees and where he's leading us. And Lisa sang it, or Austin, one of them sang it. How do I know where the Lord is leading me? Jeremiah 29, 11 says, it's to a hope and a future, to an expected end, an expected end. Man, I, I speak that over every person I know who worries about uh, generational things or generational, if you're looking on the spiritual side, people like to say the words generational curses. If you're looking on the physical side, hereditary things, right? These are thoughts we all have to deal with. The world says worry about them, right? The world says get in fear and anxiety. But what the word says is that every curse is broken in the name of Jesus, generational or not. And what the word says is that my end that God expects for me is not to go out with the same thing my dad and grandfather went out with, but my hope and my future is an expected end. That's my hope and that's my future. That's your hope and that's your future. That's what the Lord sees. Yet we allow the world and the enemy's lies to lead us down this path of fear and worry. And even if things go right, we just allow it to adapt. Now I'm going to worry about the new situation. Now that I got money, I'll probably get a disease. Now that the cancer's gone, it'll come back. Now that this is happening, that's happening, just wait for this. Now that, there's, now that we're not worried about North Korea, we got to worry about uh, Iraq and Hamas. Now that we're not worried about that, we got to worry about World War III. Now that we're not worried about that, don't forget there's still this apocalypse the Bible talks about. Don't worry. It's always something, and your worry will adapt. I would, I'm ready for that to stop in my life. Matthew 6, 6, out of the Passion Translation, that's where we're going to be living today is in the Passion Translation mostly. Consider the birds. Do you think they worry about their existence? They don't plant, they don't reap, they don't store up food. Yet your heavenly Father provides them each with food. Aren't you much more valuable to your Father than they are? I know you know that verse, but do you take it to heart? It's important to prepare. It's important to have a storehouse. It's important to be ready for things. The Lord will lead you into being prepared. Yet, if you're ever caught off guard, don't panic. There's no reason to panic. There's no reason to get into a worry. Doesn't your Father in heaven take care of the sparrow that doesn't prepare for anything? How do they just know to fly south for the winter so they won't freeze to death? How do they know where to find elements to build their nest. How do they know what to do? It's just in them. The Lord takes care of them. How much more important are you to the Lord than a sparrow? I have a definition of hope. I'm going to be coming back to off and on today, but I asked Lindsay if she could put it up on the screen. I think it'll be up there, but here's, here's my definition of hope. Pastor BJ's definition of hope. Being fully assured that God has an answer for your every situation, and at just the right time, you're impossible will become a testimony of his goodness. Being fully assured that God has an answer for your every situation, and at just the right time, your impossible will become a testimony of his goodness. Somebody is saying, well, does his time always have to be in the 11th hour right before it's too late? No, it does not. But sometimes it is. Sometimes we don't even realize how often it hasn't been in the 11th hour because he's just taking care of us so good, we never got to that point. 
the 11th hour kind of seems to stand out to us a little bit. You know, the negative stuff, it, it kind of stands out more than the positive stuff. I'm not saying that the Lord coming through in the 11th hour is negative, but what I'm saying is we probably all prefer, why can't it be the first hour? Sometimes it's just not. But what our mind goes back to is when it was that 11th hour. And again, the enemy will adapt your worry if you allow him to. Maybe this will be too late. It, it, took, it took you till the 11th hour to receive that blessing from God last time. This time, it might be too late for you. However, what the Holy Spirit will say is, don't you remember when the Lord came through in the 11th hour last time? The same God that came through in the 11th hour will come through now the same we allow our worry to adapt so easily, but just like Romans 12, 2 says, we have to renew our mind yeah. to the word or we'll just think like the world. That's, right. yeah. That's why so many times our worry adapts and our hope takes the punches. But if we renew our mind to his word, who he is, our hope will begin to adapt even better than our worry does because it's alive, it's breathing, it is moving, it is living, breathing hope. And you know when it started? It's even at salvation is when, when our hope began to adapt. The Bible says in Romans 8, 24, Paul says this, we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, what doth he yet hope for? We're even saved by hope. When you were a sinner, you saw Jesus, you heard someone tell you about Jesus, and something inside of you said, oh, I hope that he would accept somebody like me. I hope that what I've done isn't out of his reach. I hope where I've been isn't too far gone. And it was that hope that adapted to your situation as somebody who was born into sin and led you to that moment when you said, I believe in Jesus and I receive his love. And it brought a new spirit to life on the inside of you. It was hope that led you to salvation. And do you know what happens at salvation? But your spirit is born anew with the very spirit of God himself. Old things are passed away. It's what baptism represents. When we say that we're resurrecting to new life when you come out of the water, yeah, it's a, it, 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 is, it is definitely symbolism. But do you know something really does die when you receive Jesus? And it's your old spirit, that old sinful spirit you were born with. And when you come up and you're resurrected, it is your spirit that has been given new life. Romans 5.17 says, death once held us in its grip, and by the blunder of one man, Adam, death reigned as king over humanity. But now, how much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue reigning as kings in life, enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus, the Messiah? We become alive in Christ when God at salvation gives us the Holy Spirit and it starts with hope. Romans 5, 1 through 5 talks about the spirit that is born within us. And in verse 5, it says, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which he has given us. When you take that word back to the Greek, it is the word pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, pneuma. And it is the same word that describes the very breath that God breathed into a lump of clay that was in the shape of Adam, and it became alive because the breath, the pneuma of God was breathed into those lungs. The definition of pneuma is a current of air, breath, a breeze. God breathed into Adam 
and he came alive. Do you know that same spirit that he breathed into Adam because of Jesus now lives inside of you? That spirit, that very breath of life that fills your lungs is the breath of God. And just like God breathed life into Adam, his spirit breathes life and hope into every situation you're in. If you're breathing and you're a believer, you have reason to hope and to get your hopes way up. But if you don't do it on purpose, your worry will take over. And you'll adapt to the way the world thinks. The world sees an obstacle and it cowers down. The believer sees an obstacle and already the Holy Spirit has an answer. And you know what happens when a believer faces an obstacle? Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you come out of the fire not even smelling like smoke. The chains that bound you burn off and you get more authority when you come out on the other side than you ever had when they threw you in. When a believer sees an obstacle, David throws a rock, Goliath the giant falls down, he removes his head off of his body and he walks away from that scene with more authority and power than he'd ever had. A few years back, I've been here on this property uh, at church and, and throughout the week for 31 or 32 years of my life. I'm very familiar with, this, with these four acres and this building and this field. And it wasn't until a few years ago anything like this ever happened, but Lisa and I were standing in the backyard uh, closing down the modular building and about to leave, and this deer just ran through the neighborhood up, right up to us in this field and just kind of stood there and stared at us for a good couple minutes and then kept running. But this deer just ran right up to us. And I went home and asked the Lord, I said, was that anything? And the Lord said, it's always something. So what does that mean? So I just opened up the Bible and I looked up all the verses about deer. You make me leap like a deer is what David wrote. Then I just Googled, what does it mean to leap like a deer? And what came up was a guy talking about how a deer that runs so fast when it faces an obstacle has just its bone structure and everything about the deer is made to leap in stride over obstacles. But when a deer leaps over obstacles, it actually picks up more momentum. And when it hits the ground, it actually will be moving faster than it was before it had a leap over that obstacle. That's the way believers should respond to obstacles in front of us. This isn't a problem that's gonna stop me. This is a chance for the Lord to speed things up even. This is a chance for me to get to where I'm going even faster. When was the last time there was an obstacle in front of you and you thought, oh good, I guess I need to get where I'm going a little bit quicker than I thought I needed to get there. When was the last time a mountain was in front of you and you thought, oh, this is good. What is the Lord gonna take me to? What is the Lord gonna do inside of me as I cross go through, go over, go around this mountain, whatever it is, however he leads you through that obstacle. Here's what's gonna happen. It's gonna bind, it's gonna burn off the chains that bind you. It's gonna unlock more authority in your life than you were walking in before it. And it's gonna get you to where you're going even faster. If our worry adapts, that's the way of the world. Our hope adapts, that is the way of the spirit. That very breath in you, if you've got breath, you've got reason to believe in a living hope. It's important. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I, I, I talk about this all the time, but I'm going to take another chance to do it. If you've never thought about hope this way, if your faith is dormant, in other words, if you have this thought, I haven't seen my faith move in a while, my faith hasn't moved me, I feel like I haven't operated out of faith, 
It's not just like you have a faith button that you can push and all of a sudden you're in faith. No, it's actually our hope that guides and directs our faith according to the word. Again, this is not just optimism. This is not just a glass half full mentality. This is the word of God. Paul wrote this in Hebrews 11.1 1, that faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, faith brings the things we're hoping for into the natural world. If you don't have any hope, your faith is probably dormant. I have an endless amount of metaphors for this. If your car is the faith that takes you places, hope is the gas. Without gas, that car is not going anywhere. If, if, if faith is the air conditioner that cools this room down or the heater that heats it up, hope is the thermostat on the wall that tells the faith how hot or cold we want this room. I used this example last week that if hope is the band, uh, I'm sorry, if faith is the band that's playing music up here and leading us into the presence of the Lord, then hope is what Will was doing over here playing guitar and directing the band through that microphone. Like they can hear it, we can't hear it, but Will's in the mic and he's saying, hey, let's play this chord. Let's sing this chorus again. He's directing the band, telling them where to go. That's what hope does. If your faith has not been moving lately, you may be a little bit less hopeful than you've been in the past. Well, I've had my hopes dashed. I've hoped for things and they didn't work out. Are you still breathing? Are you still breathing? There's still time. Yes. If you don't quit, you win. Maybe it's been a long time. I'm sorry if it's been a long time. I, I hate that. We go through things as long as we're here on this earth and some of it, I don't know. We may never have answers for why things happen the way they do, right? Some things we might not need answers for. Here's what I know. If you're still breathing, don't quit. If you're still breathing, don't stop hoping. One word from God can change a whole situation. One act of faith can change a whole lifetime of failures. It can turn them into successes. My dad was filled with the Holy Spirit. The denomination he was in said, you can't teach a lot of the stuff you wanted to teach. That will dash your hopes. But hope adapted. And within a couple years, we found this property. We were meeting here on the property. Another church was the owners. Eventually, they closed their doors and signed this building over to us. Hope adapted. And all of a sudden, what could have been a negative situation turned into something really beautiful. It turned into the reason we're all here right now. It turned into the Elliot's up here lighting the Advent wreath. It's turned into five new babies here, here in the, in the last few months, a couple of which we're told you'll never have babies. So five little miracles and two of them, even more, I don't know if it can be more of a miracle, but it's pretty amazing. Hope adapted. I love Andrew Womack's story of being sent to Vietnam, being drafted and having 16 free hours a day because they made him the chaplain where he just spent time in the word. And he was in a miserable situation, but hope adapted. And he said, that's where the word became alive to me. That's where I began a relationship with the Lord that's led me to all this. Almost eight years ago, my dad passed away and it was a bad situation and it was devastating for a lot of us. It was hard. We were sad and we still get really sad, right? But hope still adapted because we let it. Yeah. Yeah, and here we are today in some really beautiful situations because hope adapted even to the worst situations. Hope is alive and it breathes. There's endless amounts of examples we could pull from. I love the story of Zacchaeus. 
Think about this. He hoped to get a glimpse of Jesus. But you know what? Hope adapted, and he got more than a glimpse. He had Jesus in his house that night, eating with him, getting to know him. And then from that point on, he changed his whole life. He said, I've been a thief. I'm ready to give it all back. Hope adapted. Saul was hoping to get to Damascus. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up. Well, Jesus himself actually shows up. Changes his life, changes his name to Paul. Hope adapted. All of a sudden, he wasn't just hoping to get to Damascus. At that point, he was probably hoping to see again. But hope adapted. His eyes were opened up. He began to preach the gospel. Turned the entire world right side up. David hoped to deliver some cheese to his brothers. I love it. Cheese. I didn't know they had cheese back then. David was hoping to deliver cheese to his brothers. He saw a giant. The giant was taunting his people. And all of a sudden, hope adapted. And David said, I hope somebody gets rid of this guy. And the soldiers told him, well, nobody's going out there. This has been days of this. Everybody's scared. So hope adapted. Well, maybe I can do it. And he stands in front of him. He confronts him, and the giant comes down. Hope will adapt if you will allow it to. But most of us, either just because of life or because of what we've seen, we allow our worry to adapt, but not our hope. But we can't let what we've seen be more of a director of our life than what the Word says. When what we see with our eyes, what we have experienced in the natural realm, directs our thoughts and our decisions more than the Word does, then what we're doing is we're walking by sight and not by faith. But the word says, walk by faith and not by sight. Well, this is what I've seen. This is what has happened. I'm not trying to discount what you've seen and what's happened. But I will boldly stand on the word and say what you've seen and what you've experienced is not more powerful and more true than what the word says. When we can stand on the word more than our own experience, more than what we've seen, instead of our hopes being dashed and worry adapting to every situation, man, you'll start to get excited when you see an obstacle. How is the light of the Lord going to shine through in this situation? How is your word going to overcome this in my life? And here's what happens. When you start operating in hope, I, I love a good movie. I love a good adventure movie. I mean, some of these maybe, I, I don't know, but you know who's leading the charge of most adventure movies is the person that stands up and says, hey, we can overthrow the evil Roman Empire. And all of a sudden, everybody's following Maximus, right? The gladiator. Captain America stands up in front of Thanos and this army of darkness, and he's the only guy there. And he should run away, but instead he stands up and he holds his shield because there's this little glimmer of hope. I'm still standing. Then all the little portals open and everybody else comes through. Do you know who leads the way? There's a lot of times art mimics life, right? And I'm not calling everything art that Hollywood produces, but there's times in life art mimics life. You know who leads the charge in movies like that? The person that holds on to hope. Do you know who leads the charge in real life? The person who holds on to hope. The person who stands up and says, hey, there's still a way we can win this. 
I'm going to follow that person. There's one person saying, uh-oh, we, we're not going to make it. This is it. Somebody else stands up and says, hey, I got a way. We're going to follow me. I'm going to follow that guy. I said this years ago. I'm going to say it again. Whoever has the most hope has the most influence. That's just the truth. It's everywhere from your job to your home, to your family, your church, your community. I'm not going to vote for the guy that stands up and says, hey, there's no hope for this city. Vote for me for mayor. Hey, the city's going down in flames. Vote for me. There's no saving it. Do I have your vote? No, I'm going to vote for the guy that stands up and says, hey, there's still hope for this city. I got a plan. Look, if we make this change and we make this change, if we do this and we do that, there's hope. There's success. <clears throat> there's success just around the corner. That guy gets my vote. That guy going to get put in office. Whoever has the most hope has the most influence. Whoever has the most worry is just an average person in the world. We see it over and over in the Word. You've seen it in your own life. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 is the reference. I already said this once. I'm going to say it again. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. That verse just naturally puts the emphasis on love. So I always <clears throat> read that verse and relate it to love. But I just love thinking about the fact that hope is so important. It is put in the category of the three things that will last forever. Faith, nobody, nobody's going to say that's not an important thing. It's like the important thing. Love, it makes everything else worthless if we don't operate out of love. We know that's important. Why does hope get thrown out the door so easily? Why do we find it so natural to say, don't get your hopes up, so then you won't be disappointed? What a natural, temporal, carnal way to look at life. All of a sudden, the thing we're hoping for doesn't work out. And all of a sudden, we're bigger than God and smarter than Jesus. We're like, that's what should have happened, Lord. He's like, oh, really? That little, that little uh, meme, are you sure about that? Are you sure about that? Well, that's what I thought should happen. Well, you ain't Jesus. You're not God. You know what happened to Job? It's one of the best parts of the Bible. After Job spends some time complaining and talking about how bad his life is, and the Lord finally shows up, and we get three chapters of God just unloading on Job. He says, were you there when I spoke the world into existence? Were you there? When I gave light to the sky and separated the darkness from the light, were you there when I spoke life into existence? Were you there when I taught the animals how to eat? Were you there when I breathed into Adam? Who are you to think you know better than me? Is that not what we're saying as believers? When we say things like, I'm not going to get hopeful then I won't be disappointed. Romans 8, 28, if we really believe the word, says that if we're in Christ Jesus, he can take everything and work it for our good. We can't just throw out part of the word and believe the other part. So I believe in salvation. I don't believe in the rest of it. No, you take it all or throw it all out, one or the other. Double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, tossed to and fro like a feather. Man, I just want to stand on this. And when things in my life go different, 
Instead of saying, where did you miss it, God? I don't know. Maybe I missed it. In fact, it's for sure that I missed it because it's not God. I would rather stand up and say, I missed something than God missed something. Because if God missed it, then the whole thing is going to fall apart. Everything's going to fall apart. Google what holds an atom together. Science doesn't know. Science doesn't know why atoms just don't split apart. They can't explain it. It's the very breath of God holds the whole place together is what the word says. It's his words that hold the world together. And if he misses something, boom, it's all gone. Even the atoms wouldn't stay together. Hope, being fully assured that God has an answer for your every situation. And at just the right time, your impossible will become a testimony of his goodness. When you're facing an obstacle, when it does not look good in the natural, when you can't see how it can be fixed, when you can't figure it out, it's a chance to leap like a deer over these obstacles, to come out with more authority, to get where you're going faster, and to see God give you another testimony of his goodness. Can you imagine if you just responded to every situation like that? You'd be accused of being too optimistic, to be honest. You'd be, if you're not getting accused of that, then it might, there might be a little room left for you to get your hopes up a little bit higher. If you're not being told that you're just an optimist, if you're not being told or you think everything is going to work out, if you're not being told, don't you worry about anything? Well, no, I don't worry about anything. Instead, Romans chapter 4, verse 8, I pray about everything. Tell God what I need. Thank him for what he's done. I don't try to figure it out. I may not try to understand it all, and I've been promised peace beyond understanding. And I'm telling you, when you get your hopes up and you're not afraid of them getting dashed, what happens next is what we're going to talk about next week and what the Lord is speaking over our church as a word for all of 2024, and that is joy. Joy is produced. Joy activates on the inside. And what do we know about joy as important as hope? Why? Because it's our strength. Joy is your strength. And if you aren't allowing joy to operate and move in your life, if you're not joyful, chances are you're weary. Chances are you're in your flesh ready to give up. But you don't have to be. You can ignite joy and you can operate at a strength at any time.